to another episode of Everyday Theology. My name is Guy Parkerson. This is Pastor Ian. Hey, nice good to see you. Nice to see you. Welcome back. Yeah, yeah. Always always good to film these. Absolutely. I'm I hope we continue this. It's fun. Oh yeah. This will be yeah. this will be good. People are people are actually listening. Yeah. And so, the main thing is is we stayed true to our word so far. So far. We said we were gonna, you know <laughs> We're one weekend and we did it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, John, for uh, posting it on Wednesday, not yes. making liars out of us. Yes, so. appreciate that. Okay, so uh, you started off today kind of going back into Acts 3.6, and yep. uh, I kind of wanted to go back and talk about that. I have no silver or gold, and then Peter heals the man. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you said that, um, silver and gold is not the expectation that we're, that we're striving for here, is it? Yeah. Or that the apostles are striving for. What they're, what, what they're truly concerned with is um, what happens to us when we die. Yeah, their their goal isn't necessarily to transform the temporary earthly life of a person. Um, now, and what's interesting you, with, with Peter saying, "I don't have any silver or gold," the church had a treasury. I mean, we know this. You know, Acts will tell us this. People are selling homes and fields and giving the money to the apostles. Uh, so we know there's a storehouse of cash somewhere. But Peter isn't carrying that with him. He's going to the place of prayer. So his concern isn't giving money to this man to meet a temporary need. He, he's transforming his life. He's introducing him to Jesus. That is their primary concern. It's not that giving money would have been bad or wrong. It's, this is just way better to transform your life, to introduce you to Jesus. That's better than just getting you another day of food. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when, when, when you mentioned that, I, uh, I thought about the, um, I, th- I thought about when we see heaven for the first time mm. and how remarkable that's going to be and we're not going to be worried about silver and gold. No. But the, uh, have you ever seen the videos of um, the babies that can't hear and they put the hearing oh, aids yes. in their ears? Yeah, I cry like, every time. Oh my gosh, they just lie Every up. time. That, yeah. Or the, the 40-year-old or 50-year-old man that has been colorblind his entire life. Yeah, puts on those glasses. And they put those glasses oh. and he sees. And every time I see yep. that, I'm like, that is a picture of heaven right there. Yes. I mean, the, I mean the, even the face yeah. lights up their delight of this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. That's going to be what happens when, when we see him face-to-face, the delight of that, this is how it's supposed to be. When when we experience life in the new heavens and the new earth for all of eternity, this is how it's supposed to mm-hmm. be. This is what true color look like. This is what it means to hear. Uh, this is how you. We were meant to experience life, but sin ruined it. Yeah, yeah. The uh, gosh, you know, my mind just loves to wander about what heaven is going to be like. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, when, when I see where he's, he's, he's totally distracted, he's trying to distract the people of, you know, not to be focused on the silver and gold, but to think of greater things. Yeah. There's more important things than you begging for another day. Yeah. 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 Okay. So today, in, 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 during the service, you mentioned um, how we as Christians are supposed to navigate this world. And this morning in our small group class, we were talking about... Um, how to define what 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 defines manhood right and um one of the things that the video that we watched it said that without christ as your um your standard we're more reactionary well we are we you know 
we react as opposed to um, have a true defining character that that Christ is. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, w without without an example to follow, without this picture of who Christ is as perfect manhood. I mean, th this is what we're all meant to be, uh, like him in all ways. Of course, we're going to be reactionary because we're trying to figure out what this means uh, to, to live life because we're not we're not pursuing anything. We're just we're playing defense constantly in life, and you can't you can't survive long as a believer constantly playing defense. You have to play offense. So we're in active pursuit of Christ and Christ likeness, growing in personal holiness to be more like Him. That's playing offense. So we don't take our cues from the world and what happens to us in that world. We take our cues from him because that is an objective standard that never changes. That doesn't move. What the world believes in today is not what the world is gonna believe in six months from now. Um, they're, they're gonna flip flop on everything. So if you're just putting your finger to the air to see which way the wind's blowing and following that, you're never going to achieve what the Lord has for you because you finding a way to uh, be with the world and swim in that stream is is the opposite of what he has for us. We we're to follow Christ and pursue Him, whether the world is with us or against us. And the, the, the world's reaction is inconsequential to us. That just doesn't matter. And the tides shift in that. All oh yeah, the time. they're they're all over the place. So you know, the pendulum swings throughout history. I mean, even in our our own American history, mm -hmm. there was a time when the church ran the country. Christians had entire cities that were theirs and it was punishable by law that if you didn't come to church, like it was a crime to mm -hmm. not go to church. We, we've certainly come a long way <laughs> and I'm not advocating we go back to, you know, puritanical days, but again, those things shift. The, the faith comes in and out of favor with the world. What, what they do and what, what they believe it, it really ultimately doesn't matter to us at all because we're pursuing him and that's the goal. That's the standard. What happens around us is secondary at best. Yeah. yeah the other thing that you, uh, you, you talked about was, um, and I wrote it down as you were, as you were preaching, why do, wh why do they hate us so much? You know, mm. why are, why are we so irritating to, you know, <laughs> to the outside world? And I'd never heard. So I'd heard of, the analogy of salt being a preservative and a you mm -hmm. know being savory, I had never thought of it being irritating. I'd never heard that before. Yeah, and that was wow. and who hasn't had salt on an open wound or oh, something like goodness. that? And yeah. it is just beyond irritating. Yeah, and needless to say, I scratched the the, the question out because I, that's that's the answer. It's yeah. irritating. It, it, it is again. It, salt does have you know when he calls us the salt of the earth, he doesn't use it like we use it today. We use it as you know, again, salt of the earth kind of a, kind of people. Well, what do we mean by that? Mm -hmm. Well, it's not what Jesus meant by that. Salt of the earth. Yes, we are a preservative in the world. We're to have a purifying effect in the world. Yes, absolutely the case. The more Christians you have, the holier of a society. I mean, you can't help that. But we're, we're an irritant. Um, yeah, so years ago, I had uh, poison ivy really bad. I'm highly allergic to it. I remember that. I get it pretty much every year. Uh, working out in my my yard because it never dies, and uh, I, I I like to get it apparently on my forearms. So years ago I had it, and you've got these blisters and everything. And a, an old guy at church said, "Here's what you do: 
go home, get a rough kind of a sponge, and just scrub it, which is gonna be awesome. Because if you've ever had poison ivy, that's what, that's what you wanna do. Yeah. And he's giving me an excuse. So he's like, open all those, those blisters up and pour salt in them. It'll draw all that moisture out. And I thought, well, that sounds like it makes sense. Like, that's a great idea. So I go home and I get this scratchy pad As and I, I go to town. I mean, it was glorious. And then I took Morton's bottle of salt and poured it into those open sores. Now, it, it did exactly what he said. It, it pulled the moisture out. It leaked for like a week. I mean, it's gross. And it turned it into like my arm was one big scab. I mean, don't ever do like it's, That's terrible medical advice. <laughs> he wasn't an MD. No, he, he was not. He, not at all. Uh, so don't, don't ever do that. But while it did cleanse and pull the moisture out, it was like my arms were on fire because salt is an irritant. And the fact that Jesus says that literally the next words after he finishes, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Uh, they persecuted the prophets before you. You are the salt of the earth. That's the order of his words. Mm -hmm. That tells me that they're linked. And just because your Bible puts a little you know, heading there, it's called a gloss uh, that, that transitions from the, the Beatitudes into the body of the sermon. It, Jesus didn't have those headings in his sermon. Th those words were in the same breath. Uh, so the, the world responds to us the way that it does in a negative way because it responded to Jesus that way. I mean, they rejected him. In fact, the, the word in, in Acts 4 that Peter uses against these religious leaders, you know, you, Jesus is the, the stone that you builders rejected. That word rejected means scorned. Like they hated him. Um, they did everything to get rid of him. Um, you represent him. Meaning, the world that rejects Christ is going to reject the people who represent Christ. So, I mean, it makes perfect sense. You know, John 15, the passage we read uh, during the sermon, you, Jesus very clearly said, you know, the world hates you. Just keep in mind it hated me first. A servant's not greater than his master. Uh, you're not of the world. If you were of the world, the world would treat you as its own. But you're not. I pulled you out of the world. Therefore, you're an alien to them. You're an oddity to them. You don't belong with them. Therefore, how do people react to things that are different? Well, they attack it. They reject it. That's what's happening to believers around the world. Is This is why you can't take it personally. Now, if you're persecuted because you're a jerk, that's on you. But if you're persecuted for righteousness sake, it's because you represent Christ and you're trying to live a a holy life, not because you're just mean to people around you, that, that's on them. That, don't take that personally, that they rejected Christ, they're going to reject his followers too. It's okay. Yeah, and it, 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 at the beginning of your sermon, you had the 20 seconds of... Um, 20 seconds of insane courage. Yeah, 20 seconds of insane courage. Yeah. And I never put together that um, three months before... Well, that was the other thing I want to talk about. And Acts 4, 5 through 6... Mm. On the next day, the rulers, the elders, the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and the Caiaphas. And you go through, and you know, I read that. I have no idea who those people are. Yeah, right. But you, had a, you did a great job of showing who these people are to that culture at the time, and they were it. This is the who's who. And gathered. And three months before that, mm -hmm. Jesus was standing before them. Same room. Same, same men. And, and I never put that together. Yep. And they killed him. 
and they killed him. And that's where the 20 seconds of insane courage comes into place. Yep. They knew that. Peter knew that. Oh, that he knows exactly what's at stake. Mm -hmm. um, why is it after the resurrection, the apostles, those early disciples, why is it that they're in an upper room with the door locked in Acts 1? Because the, the very people who killed our Lord could be coming after us. Why is it that Peter denied in the courtyard three times the night Jesus is betrayed and arrested and going through these trials? Why is it? Because they've arrested him and they're in the process of condemning him. I don't want to be associated with him. It's self-preservation. So he denies Jesus three times in the name of not being put in the same boat. And a wonderfully ironic now, in Acts 4, he is in the same room where Jesus was, and he doesn't deny here. Totally different person. He delivers. Mm -hmm. Goodness gracious. Um, and, and really, you know, oddly enough, that I started with the, you know, the 20 seconds of insane courage. If you were to read his sermon here, I mean, not quite right to call it a, a total sermon. He's just done that sermon. This is his defense to this inquisition. It takes you about 20 seconds to read it. He, really? he has these 20 seconds of insane courage yeah. uh, that makes all the difference in the world. It's incredible. And that's, I mean, that's solely dedicated to the work of the Holy Spirit because oh, absolutely. after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and that's when, that's when everything changes. Everything changes at, yeah. at Pentecost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, if, um, in, so the last part I think, I, th I think we should probably wrap it up with was Acts 14.12. Um, that is, that's open, that, that's salt on an open wound. Oh, 412, yes. you mean 412? Yeah, 412. Yeah, there's salvation uh, in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the salt in the wound. That's, that's the irritant. Because there's not a worldview out there that would take offense to that. Um, atheists think that, well, there is no God, so there's no point in it. Yeah. Every other religion thinks that they can save themselves. Christianity is the only religion that we don't rely on ourselves to save right to give us eternal life the gift of salvation we have to look to someone else yep. and i mean that irritates a lot of people oh there is you're right there is not a worldview there is not a religious system that isn't going to find offense at acts 412 mm -hmm. which is why i said uh, it's the most offensive message in the history of the world i mean i legitimately believe that it, it is Every world religion, every single one, believes they're the right one and everybody else is wrong. So all of this nonsense of, well, all the world religions are basically the same and we're all good. We all teach the, the you know, same basic framework of morality or ethics. Th that is nonsense. If you look at what world religions actually teach, all of them are mutually exclusive. All of them. Uh, we're right. Those are wrong. So... Hindus believe in 330 million gods. They believe that they're right, and the fact that there's one true God, they believe that's stupid. So both of those can't be true at the same time. Mm, yeah. Both of them can be wrong, but both of them can't be right. Um, so all, all religions are this way. Even the absence of religion, which really kind of is, a, is its own religion. I would uh, agree. A, a worldview that frames you know, how, how you view things. What do I need religion for? What do I need someone to save me? I, I, I'm good to go. Uh, I, I'm good. I'm holy. Whatever word people would use to describe themselves. 
Christianity is the only faith on the planet that teaches. You are incapable of saving yourself. You cannot stand before a holy God on your own and expect to survive that. He's going to kill you uh, because that's, how, that's what happens to unholiness in the presence of a holy God, unrighteousness in the presence of a righteous God. You don't survive. So it, it is the epitome of arrogance to think, well, I could, I could stand in God's presence and I, I can wheel a deal or I am good enough to say to him, I belong in heaven. You got to be kidding me. Again, the epitome of arrogance, Christianity is the only one that says you, you, it's not just that you won't, you can't. So the man who's healed in Acts 3 is actually a picture of all of this. So you got to love how you know, all of this is built from this miracle in Acts 3. So here's this lame beggar. Again, he, we find out later in chapter 4 that he was, is over 40 years old. He's been begging all of his life. He was born without the ability to walk. He cannot do anything about that. He cannot change his self. He cannot change his station in life. He is reliant on someone outside of him to care for him. He is reliant on Peter locking eyes with him and saying, I don't have any silver or gold, but what do I do have? I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then Peter reaches down and helps him. Why? Because the man can't stand on his own. Mm. He needs someone outside of him to pick him up. And that's when the miracle of healing occurs. You cannot save yourself. You're incapable of that. You, you don't even get to choose the, the method by which you are saved. You need someone outside of yourself to provide for you the righteousness that God requires. And Jesus is the only one who provides that righteousness. So th this healed man from Acts 3 is a picture of what theologians would call imputed righteousness, an alien righteousness, and outside of myself coming and helping me because I don't have it within me to do anything about this. Only God can step in and actually do the saving. Hmm. Thank God. Where would it be, we, we be without yeah. that reality? Yeah, you, the other thing that, you, uh, that you'd said was that the, these, these people in Acts 5, 6, all these rulers, they never even denied that Peter performed this miracle. And no one disputes the miracle. Nobody. That's fascinating to me. I mean, they don't call him a liar. Nope. Because we find out from the context here in chapter 4, I mean, it's plain as day when you, when you read it, that man is in the room. So Peter and John have been summoned. That guy's there because you know, Peter says it's because of Jesus that this man stands before you well. It's the Greek word hygiene. Mm. This man stands before you healthy and well. So he's in the room. So someone who's been lame from birth, begging for the last 40 years, who's now in their very presence, standing, leaping, praising God, it is undeniable. No one can say, you faked this. This is some sort of weird whatever. Nobody denies a genuine miracle has occurred. What they have to decide is who's responsible for it. That's the crazy part for me is you would think that at that point in time, somebody's going to bend a knee and say, we, we, we just witnessed something that mm -hmm. is supernatural. Mm -hmm. You'd think. And, and you, you have to love uh, that, that Luke includes verse 4. 
there is a positive response. It's not all negative. Mm -hmm. So the, the church yeah, 5, continues 000. to explode. 5,000 men now. Yeah. Uh, so again, we, we've come a long way from the original 3,000 just two chapters ago. It's now in the you know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands who, who are now part of the church. So some saw this healed man, heard Peter's sermon, and did bow the knee. They, they trusted in Christ. But Acts will tell us later that a large number of priests believe the gospel and convert. Why are they doing that? Because the evidence is undeniable. They don't have a choice. They're seeing now Jesus is that promised Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. He is Isaiah 53. He is all of this. Um, and, and even the priests, many of whom are probably in this room right now, these priests are eventually converted. How cool is that? That's remarkable. The, the, the gospel knows no barrier whatsoever. It, it can get through anything. God is good. He's very good. Yeah. yeah. And thank you. Hey, happy to do it. Yep. Yeah, thanks. Always a joy. See you next week. Absolutely. God bless. Thank you. Thank you.